And now, coming to you live from our coast-to-coast trading desk, this is Moby.co Live, a weekly live podcast discussing stocks, the economy, and the mechanics that make your money grow. I'm your host, Peter Starr. I'm joined, as always, by Moby.co co-founder and our lead analyst, Justin Kramer. Yo, Justin, what's good now that autumn keeps coming down over there? Great. Yeah, yeah everything's good. Just uh, crazy days in the markets, whether it's crypto, whether it's stocks, it's, uh, it's never a quiet day, but so far, so good. Yeah, Q4 is obviously pretty wild. It is half an hour before the market closes, and it's a Thursday just chock full of solid earnings, which is driving the S&P to new highs. I mean, what is it? Tesla rose 3% on improved gross margins. I think they went up 30.5% on its automotive business, and somewhere around 25 for other business, which for the last five quarters is another record. Netflix spiked pretty well off of the success of Squid Game, which is hilarious, watching a very anti-capitalist TV show single-handedly prop up our hella capitalist market. The chip shortage isn't slowing NVIDIA down for whatever reason. They're up 3%. And we work uh is back from the dead going up 13 percent after their cute little spac launch i mean it's not all rosy though apple claimed its first victim today with with their new privacy policy as snap is down 25 percent after they missed revenue goals hard thanks to apple turning off tracking so all in all really wild day copping off kind of a really wild week i guess just in the main question we have here in the audience is are we going to start seeing the market get even more volatile now that we're starting to exit the more exciting part of earnings season or do you think the market can keep this rally going through what'll be a tough q4 like like it really feels like all the services we're seeing are making us just completely avoid inflationary pressure right now. So what's what's your view there, man? Based on that intro, I mean, at, at this point, well, I, I think you're better suited to me than answer the question. <laughs> Super comprehensive. But yeah, for anyone who's been following us for a while, this isn't like, oh, we told you so type of thing. It's just, this is things we've been paying attention to. So when the market, you know, two, three weeks ago is crashing and everyone's worried, where you said, don't worry, it's going to rebound. And then you have weeks like this where it's hitting all-time highs. Again, this is just part of like the upward cycle higher. So the valuation ratios, the earnings of the S&P 500, the PE ratio of the S&P 500, these are things that, although things are expensive, it's because things are growing so fastly. And we saw such a peelback uh, in a lot of sectors due to COVID that a lot of this is like supercharged demand that is finally coming to pick back up. So a lot of these sectors... And companies are a little depressed in their earnings, even though their valuations are high, because they're just lagging their potential. So it may stunt growth here and there, but like overall in the long term, again, until things fundamentally change, inflation's picking back up, people are, are still willing to pay the prices for now. We're continuing to be long. If inflation spikes another 5%, then, then maybe this conversation changes. But given where we are today and where it looks like things are headed, we're still going to be long. And then you... You mentioned the Snapchat thing, some some privacy-related concerns. Kind of put out a slam piece on Facebook about a week or two ago, talked about iOS 14 and a half and how it's going to be potentially the downfall out of their advertising platform. And so when Snapchat comes out today, they report earnings and they're down 25% after hours. This is not going to be a challenge that is isolated just to them. This is going to be a wide-felt issue around Facebook, around other social media giants, Pinterest. We have a piece later coming out on Pinterest and PayPal and the rumors there. And so this is going to be a problem for a a lot of platforms out there, especially on mobile, um, as tracking and and third-party cookies comes to an end. So long story short, still bullish on the market, a lot of headwinds for data privacy and some advertising platforms, but overall things are are trending holistically in in the right direction. 
Exactly. Like overall, like outside of the media and advertising industrial complex, you're seeing a lot of positive signs too, as you know, money tends to flow a lot of different directions. So I want to add on top of the Snap conversation, I want you to, audience, I want you to put two facts together real fast here. You watched Snapchat go down 25% today as they've basically blamed them missing revenue on Apple's new privacy settings. So also keep in mind that yesterday, Facebook weirdly announces that they want to completely rebrand and then also be entirely a metaverse company. And you're seeing Facebook try to reshift its entire ecosystem so they can have way more control over their audience and not even need to rely on, you know, a multi-platform approach the way the Facebook pixel has. So watch these market pressures play out in real time. It's amazing how much Apple has changed the game in terms of advertising and and galvanized a lot of really insane growth. Like, I'm so excited for the metaverse. I'm so excited for all these developments. But that's mostly me as a creator because I, su I succeed if I have a new and interesting places to talk, right? So keep that in mind. Like, we're seeing a lot yeah. of energy. Like, this is one of those situations, um, uh, not to be all weird or anything, but this is one of those situations where there's kind of like a month-long period where decades happen as opposed to, you know, several months where nothing happens. So uh, really excited just to watch all that shake out. But I think a lot of us, like, looking in the comments looking in the questions a lot of us are very concerned about the volatility we see here in the stock market and so a lot of us are thinking about other places to put our money and so this gives me a nice little segue justin into some uh research you dropped i believe yes yeah it was yesterday's research where you were talking about apollo and talking about investing in the private market and i just want to get sort of your thoughts in terms of like what it means to invest like in the primary market as opposed to the secondary market and what the value there is like what are your thoughts in terms of thinking about finding those new avenues to invest like a lot of people are running to fundraise for retail what's your what are your what are your hot what are your top level takes on apollo and how to invest in the in the primary market as opposed to the secondary market yeah, so I, just real quick to kind of piggyback on the tail end of that before uh, about Snapchat and Facebook and the metaverse. You know, Snapchat's down 25% today and Facebook hasn't even reported and they're down 5% after hours. So investors are going to start seeing the trend. Um, and so to your point, creating like this this new context for who their company is going to be. A year ago, it was they tried to launch their own crypto. It kind of really went nowhere. Now it's this metaverse. They're seeing kind of the light at the end of the tunnel and they realize that like social media... Um, especially from Facebook's perspective, is not necessarily going to be their long game. Instagram is still crushing WhatsApp, a lot of the other platforms, but they're they're definitely looking to pivot in some capacity as they uh, as they see a lot of things changing. So it's it's a really interesting thing to watch. Um, and again, that's why we called it out last week, made a video on it, and you know something we're watching really closely. Um, but yeah, outside of that, kind of relating more towards your your later question, as it is for Apollo. And this is like something that we've been wanting to write about for a long time, um, especially with like the rise of crypto and people investing in other assets. It's like, okay, well, are equities what they used to be? Are, are there better returns elsewhere? Can we invest in crypto? How do I invest in private companies? Can I invest in real estate? Can I invest in all these things that historically I haven't had access to? And today the answer is largely no, or the, the ease of doing it is largely no. Um, but as more and more options kind of open up, those in theory should become easier, but there still is ways via the equity market to get access to those types of investments. And there's a company called Apollo that most people, if you've never heard of them, they're, they're a large asset manager. And by investing in them, maybe it's not one-to-one -one exposure, but you're getting access to their entire portfolio. And so that their direct kind of results in terms of like their operating profits and what makes the stock go up and down 
is strictly incumbent upon the investments they make. And all their investments are in real estate, in startup tech companies, in crypto, and all these areas. So you're kind of getting like a culmination, more or less, of everything they do wrapped into an ETF, or sorry, into an equity rather, and you can invest in them, get in, get out super fast. It's a way to get exposure, like broad, broad exposure to all these traditional or less traditional rather asset classes that, you know, 99% of the population doesn't have, you know, most people can't go out there and buy an apartment building and get passive income via the rental. It's just, it's just not feasible. So like, this is a really good way for people, um, for I'm sure a lot of people here to get exposure, do it cheaply, do it quickly. And, and if things don't work out, you can get out fast. Whereas, you know, if you're obviously going to try and sell a building, <laughs> it's going to take some time, take some money. It's, uh, it's not so challenging. This is a, a really good alternative. Something that we've had our eyes on for a while, and they're kind of in the middle of like a rapid growth phase right now. So it's a cool way to get exposure and not have to spend too much time digging into what's the best building, what's the best startup company, what's the best crypto coin. It's just, you know, they're doing kind of the hard work for you. And that's, uh, that's what you're participating with with their stock. Precisely. And that's a lot of the reason why we are always so bullish on ETFs too. Like it's, it's great, A, getting access to all this private stuff, but B, getting access to something more in, not, not institutionally managed as well. So that's why I'm bullish on this as, uh, on Apollo as well. And just like excited to have that kind of exposure because right now the name of the game genuinely is diversification because with the amount of energy that we're experiencing in this economy right now, it's really hard to see where things are going to go. Like I looked, I looked this week and I saw the earnings calls coming up and I thought about what various short-term plays I was going to make. And I was like, I literally sold some Chipotle stock because I didn't want to have any like um, real huge exposure to what I thought was going to be rising food prices. But instead of that, Chipotle, um, they, they crushed estimates. Their sales jumped 22% and their stock is now, well, it's flat now, but it went up pretty hard today. So it's really hard to predict precisely where all this energy is going to go, who's going to win and who's going to lose because of the heat in this economy. You think, you think the market's going to zig and it's going to zag. It's just the amount of upturns and downturns you're going to see. I never thought NVIDIA would go would have it have its stock price go up, but it's just, you know, doing so well despite a ridiculous chip shortage with there's a lot of, there's a lot of good gaming news coming out and you know sales are up. I mean their their earnings isn't until November, but there's still a lot of good sentiment driving their stock price up today. So that's the main thing to keep in mind. This is just so fundamentally hard to predict and the ups and downs are just going to be a lot sharper during a period like this, which is pretty nutty considering we're here in Q4. So um, God help you if you're a day trader and also just like good, like if you, you know, make all the right moves, it's a great time to be a day trader, but it's not really a philosophy that we super um, endorse. But that kind of gets me into various other ways the market is diversifying. And last week we talked about the coming rise in crypto and lo and behold, not to like pat ourselves on the back or anything, but like almost right on schedule, Bitcoin hit new all time highs. But then thanks to leveraging, Bitcoin's now down to about 62. So literally we talked about Bitcoin at 60. Now we're talking about it at 62 as opposed to it at 67K, Justin. So what's your view overall of the crypto space right now? I mean, I understand like it's impossible to predict, but looking at this, do you see this, this October is more of a bull trap or the start of a bull run? Like what is your feeling right now in the crypto space as Bitcoin goes through this kind of goofy little bounce? Yeah, I mean, a lot of crypto kind of just in general follows trends. I mean, we're not really ones for like technical analysis, but if you look at the crypto space, like there, there's definitely like a common theme in terms of you can use kind of past um, 
kind of past indicators to, to start predicting forward prices, whereas in the equity markets, a little, a little bit more challenging to do. And so if you look back over the last like five years, in even or even earlier this year, you saw the spike uh, kind of late 2020, it was around 20,000, then it surges up to 60 in four months, goes back down to the 30s for a while, and then obviously over the last month or two, it's really been going crazy. And you go back to 2017, it's floating in the, the two to 5,000 range, it spikes up to 20 or close to it, and then it goes back down into like, again, the mid kind of 5,000 range uh, for a few years until it spikes back up again. So, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have a tremendous history. I mean, it's only obviously been around for so long, so it's hard to say, oh, this happened before, it'll happen again. But using kind of the indicators that we use, a lot of the proprietary tools that we use, it does look like it's starting to approach a point where there could be some sort of inflection point where either there'll be a crash and it'll likely start like recovering to a certain level, stay there for a while until it makes its move upwards or kind of then spike upwards and maybe hit 70 to 80 K before making that eventual move downwards. It's we're looking at the charts in real time and we're kind of at an interesting point where it could go either way. Um, not probably the answer everyone wants to hear, but it's kind of the truth right now. So for us as short-term, from like a short-term mindset, we aren't allocating too much more. We already have some pretty heavy exposure. And then over the long-term, as you know, Peter has called out before, we're continuing to just dollar cost average in. If we see opportunities to buy in cheap, we'll get in. Um, this is something we fundamentally believe in over the long-term. Last year, we wrote a piece how we thought it was going to go to 100K. I mean, there's a real chance that happens this year, if not next. And so it, it's really the long-term game here. Um, the days of, of getting even into hot NFTs are, are slowly starting to cool off. So you need to seemingly pick your opportunities wisely. And again, it's, it's, a, it's the responsible yet boring answer. Everyone wants to get rich overnight. You know, we realize it's not, it's not fun waiting, but this is an, an asset class that is still very, very young and still has a ton of room to run. So you know, the TLDR of all this is if you want to get in over the long term, great. They're, you know, it's hard to pick the top. It's hard to pick the bottom. Um, but if you're, if you're short-term trading it, we would, we would likely stay away for now. There's a lot of, a lot of downward pressure potentially coming. Exactly. Because what you're watching is that incredible spike from 60 to 67 over a 48-hour period kind of drove a lot of leveraged interest into the space. And that's where you're going to get a lot of the really heavy volatility, people borrowing heavily to get uh, to get in these leveraged positions that can just completely wipe themselves out. Bitcoin is not a place where you place your huge, huge bets. You incrementally increase your bet over time. Ride this wave as best as you can. I think it's still going to go up from here. Buy in. A little bit with that light, light uh, that money you're going to want to light on fire, and then get out when you think you're nearing that peak, because that peak always leads to a pretty significant crash as a lot of people start bailing. One thing I saw in 2017 was this absolutely incredible um, uh, percentage switch where a lot of whales and older Bitcoin investors uh, bought in really early in the rise, and a lot of like new investors bought in right before the top and kind of got washed until basically recently. So now's the time to kind of hang out and just wait it out and give yourself time to get the capital necessary to win the next bull run, right? So if you're still new to this, new to Bitcoin, if you're still like in a really small position, you're just kind of extending your speculative budget right now as you watch this go up. So 
the main thing is short short Bitcoin's really weird. Medium Bitcoin's pretty interesting, and long long Bitcoin. I mean, I don't see any reason why it can't hit 100k. Um, but it, the the question mark is now is 100k this year or more like Q1 Q2 2022. But that gets us, as we think more about the volatility, as we think more about just, again, all the energy in our economy, I think a lot of, um, there's still a lot of interest. So I guess I, we have time now to get right into audience questions as we sort of like lay the, lay the groundwork here. And I guess, Justin, let's go back to Snap real fast. So you look, you look at Snap's product suite, you look at the way they're playing this game. The main thing we have right now is, is there any way, like if you are, if you're Snapchat and you're thinking about like how to monetize a social media asset in this new paradigm shift with Apple. Is this a value play? Like, do you think this is something they figure out eventually? Or do you think, like, this is just a sign of things to come for Snap? Like, how do you, when you look at this, this is a hot take, obviously. I know I can't ask you to do, like, real analysis on the spot here. But just looking at those facts right there, is this a value play by now and just assume it's a dip? Or do you think this is kind of like a harbinger of Snap just kind of, like, correcting itself at a much, much lower level? Yeah, I'm, I'm again similar to Facebook. I'm, I'm really a bit skeptical um, on kind of their overall business model. Uh, we we kind of do- dove into it on Facebook last week, and it's really the same issues for uh, for Snapchat in the sense that, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, um, in the sense that they're dealing with with a lot of the data privacy laws. So in Facebook, for example, if you if anyone here has any advertising experience or has spent any time there. Facebook kind of bread and butter is their their lookalike audience, their ability to use data they see on their platform to make um, to make recommendations. Then also use all the attribution that is done um, by third party cookies to to ultimately model out who the best people are. And that's why they've been really good at commanding a lot of ad spend because their ad network has been insane. And so with Apple rolling out iOS fourteen and a half, blocking a lot of the tracking that you can do across the internet, um, Facebook has really I mean, for the one of the biggest tech companies in the world, and probably the one that has the most resources outside of maybe Tesla and, and one or two others, they are really challenged to find an issue. So going over to Snapchat, they should be dealing with this just as hard, if not harder than Facebook is. Their ability to ultimately drive the same meaningful ad experience, keep um, your customer acquisition costs down while increasing like the lifetime value of your customers and finding the right ones, they're just going to continue having a harder and harder time. You factor in other social platforms that are becoming bigger, this you know inherent metaverse that Facebook and others have alluded to. And for me, getting behind Snapchat over a multi-year time period, is it's tough for me to say. I, 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 we personally wouldn't do it. And, and to really drive that home too, just to give you some more examples, if you've been in New York in the past year and a half, like literally anywhere, like if you're the kind of person who walks across the bridges or you're the kind of person who goes to Coney Island, you've seen the, an, incre- an incredible proliferation of these obnoxious barges that just have visual billboards on them. They just keep, there's, there just seem to be more and more and more of them. And for me, that's a real visceral sign of just how, um, unaf- how advertising itself, the entire advertising industrial complex is really beginning to lose a lot of edge and a lot of efficacy. And so I'm very concerned about advertising in general right now because so much of the ads industry was propped up by conversion data. Like you were able to really laser in your ad spend based on being able to track somebody from Facebook all the way to your website, all the way through their entire customer lifetime really. And that's definitely going away. And without that kind of cost efficiency, 
there, there's an inflection point that may have already passed. However, that doesn't change certain other completely different approaches to advertising, which is what makes TikTok so incredible because TikTok doesn't need to rely on conversion metrics. They are an incredible platform for virality, for old school advertising, which is just exposure campaigns, like really big advertisers throwing a lot of money to get as many eyeballs on their brand as possible. That's something that's still effective. It's one of those really wild things where we've completely gone back to like 1995 in terms of our ads paradigm as these data privacy laws get more and more robust. And as companies like Apple just completely peace out, like half the internet is off the 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 tracking cycle now so you're losing a lot of efficacy in advertising but at the same time certain different approaches to advertising will therefore become more effective so um i wish i wish i could invest in tiktok right now because i feel like it still has a strong position as a virality and exposure engine as opposed to a conversion tracking engine so i agree with you justin like it's one of those things where we're really in the woods right now in terms of should we be investing in anything that's a part of this industrial ads complex facebook and google are going to be fine i mean they own the entire advertising internet but they have lots of other things that they can fall back on as this becomes very in, like a very interesting place to be. I'm really interested about YouTube ads as well and seeing if that sort of loses its efficacy as all of this plays out, but I'll have to see. We'll have to see, you know, Google earnings too. I guess um, we're, we're really approaching the end here, Justin. I want to make sure we keep this to a tight, tight 30 since we didn't have any technical issues this time. So that brings me to one quick, I'm going to give you a quick situation. I'm going to give you another quick uh, by the dip scenario brought to us by our audience. And I understand, once again, you might have had a chance to do a lot of research on this, but I want, want to get your thoughts. People, are, people watch the NVIDIA news and they're like, okay, some companies just don't care about the chip shortage. Right now, Intel is down pretty hard. Um, their, their shares fell about 6% today on you know weaker than expected sales report. Um, their EPS was 1.71 versus 1.11 expected, and their revenue was only 18 billion adjusted versus an 18.24 billion expected. So they're down you know, basically off of the, the chip shortage, off of like reduced sales. So if you look at companies like Intel and you watch this, this microchip shortage, um, do you see companies like Intel as a value play by now, by the dip, and like as the chip shortage wanes, that stock price will go back up? Or are we entering another paradigm shift as uh, the chip shortage just kind of gets exacerbated and people are talking about it lasting into 2023? Again, totally get it. It's your high-level thoughts, but what do you, what do you have there, man? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and, and this is something we have been looking at. Um, just, I mean, chip shortage in general is obviously hurting a lot of companies. The supply chain issues is just, it's it's not going away and it's been a problem for a while. Um, so yeah, this is definitely something like we're looking at. For us, I mean, NVIDIA kind of versus Intel, uh, To in our opinion, it's, it's, it's like comparing apples and oranges. Um, while Intel had... Um, you know, they had chips in like Apple computers when Apple started releasing their own uh, processors, like with the M1 and M2, that kind of put a damper on a lot of like Intel's growth. Um, if <laughs> it's a uh, funny saying that, but on Intel's steady, steady, slow growth, where NVIDIA, for example, they're not reliant on one company like that. They're, they're expanding faster than pretty much any other um, chip manufacturer out there. And so when you see the stock for them being up like 73% to date, uh, and then even after hours, they're pretty flat relative to Intel, to your point, is down 10% after hours, and they're only up 12% to date. Again, it kind of goes back to the apples and oranges question. So 
to answer the kind of audience question here, no, I don't think Intel, this is a good buying opportunity for them. I mean, they're only up 60% in the last five years. Yes, they pay a dividend of, you know, two and a half percent. But if you're looking for yield, I think there's better opportunities out there. And if you're looking for growth opportunities with not a ton of risk, I also think there's better opportunities out there. So we've kind of been a little bit uh, hands off Intel for a while now. And, and we, we do feel that way with uh, a few of the other tech giants as well. And, and in terms of like the more legacy brands. So like, um, um, I know like Oracle, for example, is doing really well um, over the last year. But again, over the last five years, they're only up 150%, even though they're paying a, a relatively small dividend yield as well. Exactly. And from my perspective, like uh, NVIDIA, in, by the way, is it NVIDIA or NVIDIA? Like I maybe I feel really embarrassed I've been mispronouncing that my whole life. Regardless, uh, that they've been really satisfying that sort of angle in my portfolio for a while. So I haven't really need, felt the need to like get more chip or tech stocks there. Like NVIDIA has been like my entire play. Um, but that, you know, that, that's bringing us really close to that half hour. I think we've talked a lot about like a lot of the energy in the economy. We've really kind of given a good sort of benchmark for where we are in terms of this inflation inflationary cycle. We're seeing how services can kind of dodge inflationary pressure for a bit and keep driving the economy up. And even places in meat space are doing pretty successfully as well, as long as, you know, when you think about inflation and inflationary pressure, the only bad side of inflation is too much money chasing too few goods. And it looks like even though we're experiencing a lot of labor shortages, there's a little bit of production in other parts of the economy that are keeping up with those inflationary pressures. So it's kind of working out in a positive direction as long as we get to a situation where, you know, production can keep up as long as we can get through these supply chain issues. The main thing, of course, being those supply chain issues have been brewing since about since the beginning of 2020. And so if they're only coming to a head now, is it going to be the same amount of time to get out of there? And we're, we're going to have to see that moving forward. But Justin, again, thank you so much for your time today, man. This has been a really awesome conversation. I really love where we went with it. But any final thoughts from you as we begin to think about like this really like high moment and what it's potentially kind of roller coaster Q4? No, I mean, we, we just need to continue watching kind of just overall earnings watching inflation if that picks up substantially even though it obviously has over the last 12 months looking at certain assets if they're becoming overbought to the point where it just doesn't make sense anymore there could be an interesting inflection point in either direction uh over the next quarter um but again right now given the information we have we're, we're continuing to be long a lot of our our positions we've had a value tilt most this year which has done pretty nicely for us the fact that we've kind of mitigated some some of the super growth names. Um, and again, it's a strategy we're going to continue until until things change otherwise. Um, as things potentially, inflation picks up more, that should, if only, continue to kind of push uh, alpha towards the names that we're holding. So long story short, we're continuing to hold long. Uh, Q4 is always an interesting time in the markets. You got a ton of money pouring in, especially in the consumer names in terms of sales, people trying to hit their targets at the end of the year. Um, it's, it should always be, uh, an interesting time in the market. And again, we're, we're holding along. Exactly. I'm so glad we chose to stop, start this podcast in October and not in August or anything because Q3 was so boring by comparison. I'm really loving riding the wave here in Q4. But either way, Justin Crater, co-founder and lead analyst here at Moby.co. It's been really awesome having you on this call. Live audience, thank you so much for all of your awesome questions. Again, if you have anything else, you can always just feel free to hit us up throughout the whole Mobyverse here on Discord. We love, you know, answering your questions and engaging with you and, you know, doing the research you want us to do. This is a two-way street and we want to make sure that we are providing 
providing you the intelligence and research you need to build a portfolio you want to have as you begin as you continue to grow your wealth over time either way audience i really appreciate your time i'm going to go ahead and read the credits here just so you know this podcast is produced produced hosted and voiced by me peter star northrop you can find more about us over at moby.co feel free to follow us here on discord follow us on youtube as well we just released an awesome video kind of going deeper into our position on SoFi after a piece of research we released last week. Follow us on TikTok just so I can keep juicing that algorithm. I'm very close to figuring it out and getting people excited about the market there on the on the clock app. Either way, audience, I really appreciate your time. If you have any other questions, you can feel free to DM me directly as well. And for now, all I can say is I like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much. Have a great day.